Welcome to the 100th episode of Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. A hundred of most anything you put your mind to is worth celebrating. It should be a notable milestone, but left to its own devices, it just becomes another thing in life. And here's what I mean by that. If you let every event in your life just blend into the next without pause, reflection, and without wait, life can get pretty boring and have little meaning. It's important to celebrate successes to honor that particular milestone so that it's clearly a moment worth remembering. 100 is a special number. We define history by centuries. Reaching 100 years of life is rare and worthy of honor. In show business, 100 episodes or doing your first 100 shows is a milestone that few pass. In fitness, 100 is a worthy goal for sit-ups, push-ups, and for that rare human, pull-ups. So I'm excited to present my 100th episode in a different format. During the past 99 episodes, I've told stories of my golf adventures during my tenured career in sales and marketing. Golf was a boondoggle, but it was also relationship building for me. More importantly, I've shared stories told to me while working the first tee in Charleston. The more golfers that have listened to my podcast and that I've played with or at least seen at the first tee, the more unsolicited stories I receive. And just when you've heard it all, another anecdote or crazy human behavior story causing me to fall out of my golf cart laughing my ass off and then thinking to myself, man, I got to find a way to get that thing on the podcast. Golfers are a unique and crazy bunch of lost souls. I mean, where else would you find people that find pleasure in hitting a little white ball until it lays rest in a gopher hole? Somewhere between the first and the last swing, you try to avoid the woods, sand traps, the marsh, watery graves, low-hanging branches. And when your ball finally arrives on the green, you do everything possible not to three-putt. Add on top of that the wagering that you can do when you're saying, I could do all of that in less strokes that you can do. It just makes you one of the cast of characters on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Asshole again. feel peculiar. Peculiar. I've been talking about your wife ever since I can remember. You know, she's on your mind and blah, 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 blah. I'm not talking about my wife. When are you going to get that through your fucking head? What are you going to rise up and start it off? I don't want to hear it. Please don't. Just peculiar. I don't want to hear it. I'm tired. But that being said, there's also this glue between golfers. You know, some golfers wear logo threads from their favorite golf courses just to advertise that they've been golfing at this noteworthy course. If you've played the same track and had a great experience, you might strike up a conversation to compare notes. Golfers do that. So, a hundred episodes ago, I started to share my view of golf, golfers, and the outlier behavior on and off the golf course. And as a golf course employee, I've had the chance to meet some unique individuals and over time have been invited to play with some of them. 
Others I've met on the course as some days I go it alone in hopes of finding my game, or on some occasions team up with other strays and find a new golf buddy. I thought it appropriate to bring some of the characters to life as I told stories about my interactions with some of them. My 93-year-old mom gave me the idea of creating pseudonyms for him. Well, she actually said something like this: "Hey, Rich, just be careful about using real names. If you don't want to end up in court." So I took her advice and created caricatures of some of my golf buddies. Mind you, the stories I told, while dressed up on occasion, are real stories. So why not bring some of these characters to life? A few months ago, one of the players we call the Llama. Now, who do you think they give me? The Dalai Lama himself, the twelfth son of the Lama, the flowing robes, the grace, bald, striking. So I'm on a first tee. What am I giving the driver? He hauls off and whacks one. Big hitter, the Lama. Long. So the Lama suggested that I actually do interviews with some of these caricatures I've spoken about, and he said, "Why don't you do it for your hundredth episode?" So I thought. Why not? Provided that they're willing to spend their own free time to sit down and answer some of my stupid questions, I thought, "Hey, let's try it." So in this episode, you'll hear from characters like Billy the Kid, the Tin Man, Cloudy Graves, Polly Walnuts, Mike Kay, Southern Brad, Doctor Les Payne, the Sconson Slammer, and of course the Llama. So, without further ado, here is my favorite island of misfit toys. Okay, Doctor Payne. Yeah. What is more stressful, putting a patient under anesthetics or lining up a ten-foot putt to win your club championship? Well, obviously. The ten foot putt, <laughs> <laughs> because you've been doing the whole doctor thing for a lot of years, and this... well, the chances of me making the ten foot putt are a lot less than me waking somebody up for me to see. I like it. We had an interesting experience at Charleston National a while back. It was a rainy day. But we decided to play anyway because you had driven an hour up from Folly Beach, and I felt horrible. And、um, when you were driving up, it wasn't raining where you were, but it certainly was raining at Charleston National. So you get up there, we're deliberating, and it's like let's play. You drove all the way up, and we go out. It's sloshy. We're playing. We get to the seventh hole, the hardest par three on the course. It is playing at 195 yards. Everything is wet. We're slipping when we're hitting shots. You pull out your trusty hybrid. You hit the shot over the water. You make a hole in one. Now, here's my question to you: If you could think back to that pre-shot, to the actual shot itself, did it seem? Did anything seem different? Did the feel before it feel different? Did the swing? Did the contact with the ball? Any of that? Different from other shots that you've hit before. Well, it's hard to say different. I'm I don't have that skill level to 
be able to tell the difference in my swing. I certainly can tell the difference in contact. Uh, if you recall, uh, you you guys teed off before I did, and I don't think either one made it to the green. All right, take it easy. So, so I, was, <laughs> I my memory yeah. is not that good. <laughs> so I was I was I was a little like, well, okay, well, this is you know you can't be short with this one. So so maybe I put a little extra into it and got away with it, and it just it was just dumb luck that it found the hole when you know we all got to see it and you guys were way more excited than i was i was dumbfounded really and shocked that i've got my first hole in one on, on talk about dumbfounded talk about bad luck we get back to the clubhouse and <laughs> the gal who was running the bar already left and locked up for the day because no nobody else was as foolish as we were to play and that just happened to be her last day on the job not by her design yeah, I was actually a little a little disappointed because I'm like, oh, well, you know, the tradition is you get a hole in one, you're buying drinks. I but- played with another guy that got a hole in one at Charleston National, and uh, he's one of my good buddies. I love playing with him. He just happened to have construction going on at his house. He lives on the course. And he actually had a hightail at home to meet with the contractors. He didn't get the opportunity to buy everybody a drink. I never saw the contractors, but I did see his house after it was done. So I'm guessing they were there. All right. Well, so no. So other than you took, you put a little more on it because we missed the green, probably put it in the water in front. All right. Here's another story. Here's another story. You didn't really know. Okay. Hold on a second. Um, okay, I just put it back again. I could do whatever I could. I could do whatever I want, Doctor yeah. Payne. Okay, talk to me. What is it? What did I? What so, did I miss in that story? What did you miss? Well, you missed the 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 story. You know, the backstory about you know when I I'm a part time resident, so when I'm coming in, I'm calling my buddy Rich and say, Hey, you want to play golf? Yeah, let's do it tomorrow. Well, I I didn't get in until eleven o'clock the night before because we you know saw our daughter and granddaughter in uh charlotte so i'm unpacking the car and i throw my golf clubs in the car and you know the next day it's raining and funny weather and i'm in a hurry and i you know i try not to be a scatterbrain and get everything organized get in the car driving over to uh, charleston national going over the ravenel bridge and it's raining and i'm like did i put my golf shoes in i don't remember so i look over in the back of my Little SUV. No way. You forgot you left them at that <laughs> your place? I forgot my golf shoes. And I'm like, I can't turn around now because that'll be a, that'll add another hour to the trip. And Rich will, Rich will you know, say, ah, oh, screw it. Let's not play golf. And I'm like, well, I want to play golf. I know what I'll do. There's a Costco right across from Charleston National. Oh, you never told me. So you got golf shoes or any kind of shoe? Did, you, did they sell golf shoes there? No, they don't sell golf shoes. They sell tennis shoes. So I went in Costco, bought a pair of some Pia Flyers. Uh, they had Keds. Fit, I would have Converse. Gone. I got them. Went over, went across the street, and then we, you know, figured it out. Went and played golf. So yes, I showed up that day in just a pair of tennis shoes and played golf. Kirkland brand tennis shoes. It's probably what it was. That's a great story. So anybody out there listening, you don't need yeah. golf shoes. As a matter of fact, 
get something that could slip. It'll allow you to transfer your weight better. That and must that, have been that must have been it. <laughs> I didn't know that. You never told me that. All right, here's well, another story. Here's another story. Right. We're playing at Stone O' Ferry with another golfer not to be named several years ago. <laughs> it was cart path only because the heavy rains because of the heavy rains the day before. We're at this hole, you hit your approach shot, it goes wayward from the green. And as we get up there, your ball is sitting in a new stream of water that must have been there from the night before, from the heavy torrential rains, right? When you, um, you ask for a ruling, and casually, this rulesy guy we're playing with called it a stream, and he demanded that you take a one-stroke penalty, which you did. And that's when I realized... It wasn't in your nature to match assholishness with assholishness because it wasn't a stream. It was standing water. You should have just gotten relief. So here's the question. Is there ever a time where you're going to protest a ruling from an asshole? Uh, Yes, there was a time um, at my old club. We were playing in some sort of a member tournament. I don't remember what the exact name of it was, but, um, this guy hit his golf ball again, off just off the fringe of the green. And it was the, um, sprinkler head was going to impede his stance. So he said he gets to get a free drop and he gets his one club length or whatever. And his free drop was going to be on the green. And I'm like, that's not right. Oh, you see this guy? See this guy? Number one bullshit guy. You can get a free drop, but you can't drop it on the green. Number one bullshit guy. Almost heaven. West Virginia. Blue Ridge Mountains. Shenandoah River. Okay, so I'm here with the famed Billy the Kid, who I've spoken about at least for five episodes. So let me start off with, which is harder, working the coal mines of West Virginia, playing in 100-degree heat here in the south, or 30-mile-an-hour winds? That one's an easy one. Working in the coal mines is definitely harder. I would think so. You know, there's no greater pressure, I guess, in, in the world than surviving. I mean, that, that is the ultimate, is keeping yourself safe and, and, and your well-being intact. So... So that says something about you, and it kind of explains the kind of golfer that you are. And let me explain. I've never played with anybody that I have the confidence when he's down or he has a really tough shot, you're somehow going to make it. I've seen you in places where people have never been before, and I'm thinking at least a bogey, maybe a double bogey, and you end up with a birdie. Like on 17, you'll hit it to the right in this horrible area right by the marsh. And I'm like, okay, we got, you might have been my competitor at that time. And I'm like, okay, we got him because two of us are on the green. You hit it up, you make the putt. It's, a, it's like, it's this mindset of maybe things were so tough back then when you were younger. Like, how tough can this be? Yeah, I, I think that, uh, that we all are a product of, of our environment as we grow up or the experiences that we've had in life. And, and I think that those, um, those certainly relate to golf in a lot of ways because um, my, my jobs that I had in the coal mines is, you know, varied from 
supervising just a few people up to supervising thousand plus people and being being responsible for their safety and their well-being and most importantly to me that they get to go home to their loved ones every day at the end of their shift um it is something that i think um hardens you a little bit or it toughens you into the sense of I got to be able to do this or, or it's important to me to do this. So I've also been at the working the first tee. You're making the turn because for those of you that are listening that don't know this golf course, where I sit for the first tee, I see golfers when they tee off on the first tee and then I see them when they make the turn going to 10 and quite often I'll ask you a few questions. How's your score? How many greens in a row? You know, where are you in the match? And there have been probably as many times that you've been down as you've been up. But when you're down, it's like you just have this shitty grin on your face. Like, I might be down now, but trust me, when you see me coming up at 18, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be up. And most of the times you are. What is that about? Well, I think that... Uh that, that around the golf is is defined by how well you manage your emotions or manage yourself. If you you hit the good shots that you you describe, you know, or the the shot that you didn't think you were going to be able to hit, and and then all, if you get too high, then you lose some focus or lose some concentration. If you go the opposite way and hit a couple of bad shots and make a high score on a hold, then, you know, it's real easy to lose concentration and lose focus again or um, try too hard, if you will. It, it, it's about somehow being able to have, I guess, what I would call a quiet confidence. Yeah, it's you know, a good term. You know, that I, right. I just try to stay on a fairly even kill and believe that, okay, when the next shot comes, I'm going to, I'm going to, do my best to, you know, and make the best swing I can at it. And, you know, we'll see how the results come in. Now, most average golfers would be shooting at 100, maybe in the 90s. You're not an average golfer. And so you've had some success in mm -hmm. uh, scoring low on holes, scoring low in rounds to know that it could be done. What's your lowest round recorded? I think my lowest ever that uh, has been a 66. That's awesome. Yeah, and that was years ago when I was a little younger. My my lowest. But still, it's still in your head. Yeah, you shot that. I bet you could. If I asked you, and I'm not going to here, you could recall every hole, the birdies, the eagles, whatever you had to do. You could probably recall it, which probably comes in handy when you're going to make a shot, knowing oh, I've done this before. Mm -hmm. My best round here at Charleston National, I think, is uh, 68. And this is a very difficult course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What's the most amount of birdies you've had in one round? I think nine is the most. Are you freaking kidding me? That's pretty good. Consecutive birdies. Seven. Wow, that's amazing. What did that feel like? It, it, it was almost like uh, you felt like, you know, it felt like uh, I couldn't do anything wrong. If I hit a putt and, and I and I hit it and I thought it was a little bit offline, somehow it 
the speed corrected it or, you know, it would catch the lip of the hole. And fall. I mean, it was just everything one of those way. magical kind of right. kind of things is what it was. I mean, I I couldn't tell you that I on all seven holes that I hit the ball really good on every every one of the shots. You know, I made a couple of longer putts and and this and that. So, you know, so when you come off a round like that and you've had seven birdies or you come off a low 60s round, what happens the next time you tee it up? Do you have you established? First of all, if you could remember, do you remember the next round or a few rounds after that being good because you're on some kind of streak, or was it the magic of that day? Well, I think it. Uh, it I've seen both. I mean, I've had rounds where I shoot in the sixty, you know, high sixties, low, you know, seventy, seventy-one, or something, or be under par, and then come back the next day and shoot. Uh, I think the day that I shot sixty-eight here, I shot seventy-one the next day. So, seventy-one it, still not. It's still yeah, it's still one under par. Yeah, that's, right. that's what I say. And then you yeah. know, and I did. I think it's just about again. You go out and play each day, and you know I play a lot. So, um, I just you know, every day's a new day. You go out and swing and try to hit the ball the best you can that day, and figure out how to get it in the hole because that's what golf is all about. It's getting it in the hole somewhere. Right. So you said you play a lot. I happen to know that you recorded over 300 rounds 2021 last year, right? I think playing golf, number one, helps me stay young. You know, if you can say 71 jug, but, you know, it, 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 you keep, it keeps all the parts working is yeah. the way I see it. You know, if um, if you let a car sit in the garage and never take it out for a drive, then you hear the squeaks and all the things, and, you know, it sputters a little bit when it takes. If you, if you run it a little bit every day, you don't have to take it, you know, far all the time, but if you run it every day, then it seems like it runs a lot smoother and stays stays in a lot better shape. Of uh, being able to operate, and mm. and I kind of feel like that about playing. Um, you know, for the most part, I wake up with the expectation that I'm going to be active today doing something. Sure, and golf too. is one of those activities that. You know, as you know, I play very early most days, you know, six thirty, six o'clock or whatever time they'll let me out here. Sure. And by doing that, I get through before noon most every day. So I feel like I've still got the better part of the day to do things that I want to. Now here is a short interview with a good golf buddy of mine that I've spoken about many times, Cloudy Graves. Well, you've heard about him. I've told stories about him countless times because of all of his aphorism sayings, the southern accent, and um, we also compete pretty well together. So here's the first question. What's a good old boy from Mississippi doing here in the low country? Mm, I guess I got lost along the way. Uh, job transfer brought me here. That's, All right, that's so let's stick with that and what you've done. So which is harder, 
taking down drug trafficking banditos, and that's not to be a slur against uh, anybody, but um, taking them down or making a sliding five-foot putt to win the bet to win the match. Mm. Wow. I'm going to have to go with the hardest being the putt. <laughs> the putt. <laughs> okay, here's why. You got to love a dumb criminal. And there's a lot of them out there. So they're easier to catch than making that putt. <laughs> well, Lexi Thompson would agree with you after watching what she did. I feel sorry for her this last Sunday. Okay. So making the putt, and I'd agree with that. Uh, I haven't taken down a criminal, but I've had sliding putts that I wish I didn't have. All right. Um, what's worse? <laughs> Having somebody play a game right next to you when you're doing an interview. All right, let me give you a little background behind my comment. Cloudy Graves and I decide to meet at around noon upstairs in the clubhouse at this golf course. And there's nobody there. The weather had rained the entire night the night before. Not a lot of people are coming in there. And if anybody's coming, they're coming to play golf. They're not coming upstairs. I pick a table that is as far from the bar, probably 20 yards away from the bar. So we are way in the back. And there happen to be gaming tables there that are very underused. Matter of fact, I've been at this course for seven years. And I only recall once or twice where some of these tables are used. And it's typically big groups. So there's nobody up there. It's just he and I. All of a sudden, out of nowhere... This kid comes around the corner, walks up to the foosball table that is right next to where we're sitting in the very back corner, decides he's going to start playing foosball. He sees us, but there's no parent there to tell the kid, hey, why don't you go do something else for a few minutes? These guys seem like they're having some kind of meeting. We have headsets on. We're doing an interview. Kid is just like, hey, here's a table. There's a ball I'm now going to play. And it was really disruptive until the dad finally comes over from the bar and, you know, gets his kid. And I don't know where they went, but it was, I just look at Cloudy and he's looking at me. It's like, should we say something? But you can't. So anyway, that's, that is the rub of the green. Um, no, what's worse? Slow play or somebody in your foursome that just won't shut up? Oh, wow. What a loaded question. You know me well. well we play together. <laughs> we both, you and I both get sideways about the same things. I got to add some stuff in there. So if the person in the foursome that won't shut up is holding me hostage by teeing his ball up and then stand there telling a joke, <laughs> we, we got a problem. I'm going crazy. Most of the time, I'd have to say slow play. Slow, slow play. play drives me Man. Do you play your best rounds in under four hours? Absolutely. I play my best golf when I can just go hit it. Just go yeah. up there and hit it. Yeah. Okay. No, no standing around thinking, looking at the birds and the trees. All right. So I've played people with, play foosball. Yeah, right, <laughs> right next to us. Yeah. And he's going to keep playing. So while we're doing this interview, this really nice young kid who's probably here with his dad, keep, keep playing. <laughs> Decided to come. We have a foosball table next to us, and he can't seem to get the, hit the ball with the guys. You got to move the ball a little bit to one of those guys. Move the ball over just a little bit. That's it. Now you got it. He's got it. So you and I have played, and I'd say you're probably one of the longer hitters I play with consistently. 
How can you possibly hit the ball that far when your backswing is shorter than John Rahm's backswing? I just, it's like physics, and I can't understand it. Everybody, everybody talks about the, the shortness of my backswing, and my simple response to that that I tell everybody, it's, it's, it's all in the rear end. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's all in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my dad used to say, you can't knock in a spike with a tack hammer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other thing I'll say is, well, you don't hit the ball going back. Right. Mm -hmm. But you have figured out the dynamics, so you don't have to take the club way up over your head, and you've just figured out a spot where your strength, actually the strength is really, it's almost like shoulders down to the hips is really where the strength comes in. There's nothing that happens above your shoulders. For so, me, for you. if I go any longer, there is no telling where the ball might go. So it's a control factor. It too. is a control factor. Got it. Okay. Back then, <laughs> back in those days, like an inch or so. Yeah. All right. Since we, every time we play together, you've got a different story. Mm. You have a different aphorism, adage, or proverb. Is there a little red book <laughs> that every young boy gets when he grows up in Mississippi <laughs> on here are the things that we say to kind of tell you about life, because then when you move places, people haven't heard those stories before. <laughs> Where do they all come from? I, honestly, I don't know. And, and they come um, randomly. They just pop in my head. I've heard them from my father most of the time or other, other um, people I grew up with. It just, I, But you're right. It seems to be a, a rite of passage it, with people from Mississippi that uh, you, you got to have some little anecdotes in there or you just I've lived in a lot of places like I've lived in seven places around the country yeah. never did I live in a place where people just have one-liners just like that that were appropriate to whatever was happening right too. right my yeah. family has said that before so where do you come up with these things and honestly and you can't just call them you can't just no the circumstance has to present itself it's and then present. it's like oh right <laughs> it just comes to yeah, you and like you can't that. you can't and i don't mean this like you said to downplay anybody but you know the um sometimes northerners just can't do it they they mess it up yeah it just doesn't come not out doing right it. <laughs> <laughs> i think you just you just laid a gauntlet down yeah. for me i'm not picking it up there's no way <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not we don't have them you know like you know my dad so my dad would have one this is a northern thing so You've, it's taken you seven strokes to get it on a par four. Mm. And now you're 30 feet away and you make a putt. And he would always say, that is whipped cream on a shit pie. And that's <laughs> or like, lipstick on a pig. See, lipstick, <laughs> like that sounds better. <laughs> lipstick on a pig. Yeah, lipstick on a pig. Lipstick on a pig. You can take it for a stroll in the afternoon. It's the same old pig. It's the same old pig. If it's primped or if you leave it in the nude. It's the same old pig, it's the same old pig You can take it for a walk in the evening light It's the same old pig, it's the same old pig In a boat or in a bonnet tied up tight I'm playing with a golfer that I have referred to in at least one, if not two, of my episodes as Polly Walnuts. Where exactly are you from in New York? Uh, downtown Manhattan. Uh, 12th Street between 1st and 2nd, actually. Uh, they call that Little Italy. No, actually, Lower East Side. Lower East Side. Lower I know East it well. That's yeah. like one of my favorite places to go yeah, in. Yeah, actually, a good place. So rumors have it that you are here because of witness relocation. Is that just a rumor? Or I guess if it's not a rumor, you're not going to tell me the truth anyway. I'm really not supposed to say anything like that because <laughs> there may be people listening to this 
So I would rather um, move on to the next question. <laughs> move on to it. <laughs> so the reason I asked that question is we were talking about something, and it had to do with running or something like that. And I'm like, God, when's the last time you ran? And you said, well, somebody was chasing me in New York City. And I'm like, who's chasing you in New York City? Like, do you owe somebody money? Did, like, was there a murder? Was, like, what was it? There's always something that happens downtown. Um, sometimes you're aware of it. Sometimes you're not aware of it. But lo and behold, you're, you're usually part of the uh, problem. All right. You know? <laughs> right, right. Okay, so um, when I started playing with you, I want to say you and I probably were around the same handicap. And then a few weeks ago, like you're playing like a low single digit handicapper. Yeah. What has happened to your game? How did you do that? Well, I'm going to not say that it, it was an immaculate, immaculate conception because it just doesn't happen. Uh, Chase Wells, who happens to be the uh, head pro here, he's really turned my game around. And I've been playing more often. That helps too. Um, my head is in a different place. Um, I don't know. You know yourself. The game is so stupid sometimes. You, so stupid. You can, be, you can be so good one day and really, really suck the next day. But on average, so you must have more lower scores and higher scores. Obviously, yes. low scores. So, yes. And I've seen you drive the ball, too. And you're, you, know, you just told me a few minutes ago your driver has abandoned you. But when I it saw has. you play a few weeks ago, your driver was probably your key club in the bag. This weekend, friends of mine came down from New York, and we played at Fripp Island. Yeah, nice. And I hear it's really nice, yeah. Unbelievable. I would recommend it to anybody. But something in the water, <laughs> something I ate, who knows, my driver just went south, and it's in the trunk, and it's going to stay there until I talk to, to, uh, to Chase. I think you got to put clubs in probation. And I tend to, what I've done before is I've had clubs in probation in my garage. And then as a club in my bag fails me, I bring it into the garage and let it sit like next to the other prisoners. Like a conjugal visit. Like (laughs) no conjugal. I don't want conjugal. All I want them to do is sit there and be remorseful for the poor play. And then maybe I'll come and get it again and bring it out. And I've done that. I have this one putter and I give it a chance. And then if it fails... Then it goes to eBay. That's like death to me, but happiness to somebody else. So, um, but you were driving the ball really well. And so Chase, these lessons with Chase Wells, obviously he's seen something in your swing that he's helped you correct and, or helped you capitalize on so that you are more consistent and hitting the ball farther. That's what I've seen. By the time we finish our lesson, which is usually about an hour, I'm hitting like a champ. Um, It's amazing. He'll tweak this and that who knows but it's working it works it works for you yeah so how often in a year's period of time will you get lessons or is it ad hoc when your game starts going south usually when the when the game goes south i i send them a text help (laughs) i only put one word help it's up to you I'm talking to a character I call the Tin Man, not because he's in search of a heart, 
but because he's had so many surgeries to allow himself to compete in sports that he needs an oil can or 10W40 just to loosen his joints before he competes. He was a great baseball player and an outstanding coach, and we know this because he told us so. Give me one. Come on, Vaughn. I know he hadn't done very well against this guy, but I got a hunch he's doomed. Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. So you've won a lot in golf, or at least you've positioned yourself. When you compete, you position yourself to at least have a chance to win. What mindset uh, do, you, um, do you establish before you enter into any golf match? Is there, um, um, is there a formula? Is there the same thing that you might have applied to other sports? Because I played with you and... Um, you seem like you're ready to compete as soon as you get to the first tee box. Well, if you're going to play any game, you know, where winning or beating yourself or winning a team game, if you don't go with the idea that you can win, you're already beat. So I don't ever think that, that I'm, I don't ever start out thinking I'm beat, even though I got to admit that in the last, few years injuries have made it very very hard to have confidence that you know exactly you know how you're going to be able to perform because there are certain things that make it very difficult to perform none of them should be in your ability to uh, want to compete or being mentally prepared to compete and I think one of the worst things, you know, that I always tried to impress on teams was don't go out there thinking you're beat, but don't go out there thinking that you're going to win. You know, play the best fundamentals that you can. Winning will ultimately take care of itself if you don't make a ton of mistakes. And that's probably the hardest thing with golf is that it's so easy to make a big mistake. And that right. comes yeah. from that, that, that can come from just, you know, getting in a hurry, not thinking, not being prepared. Uh, every golf course is different than every baseball field or every basketball court or every football field. No two are alike. Whereas every time that I went to a baseball field, they're not, they're more different, obviously, than basketball and football fields. They're all the same, no matter what. But the dimensions but, are pretty uh, close, right? The, the, the dimensions are, are generally pretty close. Though, you know, if you were playing the New York Yankees, the Yankees need some really good left-handed hitters because they've got a doggone pop-up home run in right field for a lot of players. Right. So it, it and, you know, it, it varies. Baseball varies. You've got ballparks that you need guys that can run them down in the outfield because you've got a lot of space to run down, whereas some teams don't necessarily need that. But, but you still do it. Even with your injuries, you're still competing and shooting low. You might not be shooting a 68, um, and I still think there's another 69 in you. But uh, I think it's pretty, pretty impressive that you can go through all these injuries and still come back and compete. 
I think it's impressive. Well, I've got a master's degree in rehab. You know. <laughs> You've earned that you, through life, right? You know, when you when you rehab most parts of your body, you get pretty good at rehab. I think the main thing, if there's a difference between me and anybody else, I don't think there really is. But when it comes to what I've had to go through, and what I've had to go through is not life-threatening in any way, shape, or form. It's just life-disabling. But... I want to I want to get back to playing golf and doing what I want to do and I'm motivated to do it. I'm still motivated to do it at my advanced age. I'm not afraid to do it. It doesn't scare me. And so I just go after it. A discussion with Mike K. Okay, I'm sitting here with Mike K. And you've all, if you've listened to some of the podcast yeah, previously, I've talked about Mike K. I met him. Um, working at the First Tee, Mike was one of the first guys I met that organized this Friday afternoon group. And as I said earlier, Mike's like a natural-born leader. Uh, just It's like herding cats, getting guys to agree to play on a Friday afternoon. Um, but Mike's done a really good job with that. And I'll talk a little bit about that game uh, shortly. But um, Mike is now partially retired. He does some consulting, but in his previous life, he ran logistics for some fairly large uh, billion-dollar companies. And so my first question to Mike is, is there any comparison in running logistics for these very large companies and the game of golf? Well, everything in golf really can translate to other uh, businesses or um, daily endeavors. But I, I guess what I would say... The similarity that I see is that you're managing people still. If you're the commissioner of a Friday night league right. or uh, trying to organize a group of guys. And so there's so many personalities that are involved. And certainly in the business world, you're dealing with uh, a, lot of, a lot of different personalities up the chain and below the chain. And you got to get them all to blend and mesh. Um, and I think largely... Um, golf lends itself to that because there's so many personalities amongst 10, 12 people. Right. And sometimes you got to manage uh, who you pair uh, I was because ask of the you personalities. That. Right. <laughs> Have you ever found that it's, um, it's toxic when you put certain people together with very strong personalities or that just have voiced an opinion about other guys where it's like maybe it's better to put them in separate foursomes. Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's absolutely people that I know that cannot be paired. Right. Um, and, no, frankly, and we can't name names. And, and if we do, we have to make up a name. Right. So, yeah. And frankly, I mean, there are people that I make sure that I don't pair with through the years or through the, <laughs> or through different periods of our relationships. And, uh, um, and so you take that all into account. But, you know, manage, managing in a large corporate world, 
to me was uh, stress, and golf is relaxation. And is it though? <laughs> is it? Though? I, Rich, I don't know that you've ever seen me really get aggravated uh, on a I haven't. golf course. I uh, haven't. No. I mean, I have some crappy shots, and I'll go. You know, you suck or something like you've that. You've never thrown a club. You've never broken a club. You've never yelled your name out. No. Maybe you have. But that's everybody. Yeah. You know, but that's, but I've, no, I've never I, seen you get like certain people on the golf course right. and maybe their expectations are too high or maybe they've been playing a certain way or maybe well, it's you a know pee a under their mattress. handicap that curses and right. <laughs> throws know, right. clubs all the time. Yes, I And do. you dude, you're a 20 handicap. You know? yeah, yeah, why would you think you're going to do any different? But right. yeah, but you're not that way. Right. I, so. And let me tell you why, though. Uh, when I was like 27 or so, I was playing pretty regularly and I was fairly, you know, I didn't really start golf until after my baseball was done. And, 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 um, and so anyway, I'd be playing and I have a three or four year old and um, so it was precious to get out and have fun, but all of a sudden it wasn't fun anymore. And I, I actually threw a club and, um, like knocked that limb off and I said, you know what? I'm not having fun. I'm not going to golf anymore. And I probably took 10 years off Wow! because I had a family and it wasn't fun. And I just said, I'm done. And then probably, like I said, 10 years later, I, I went with the attitudes, you know, I'm not going to get upset. This is my time. And if, if, if I'm going to be miserable, I'm not going to do it. And, and so that's the attitude I still, and I still remember how mad I was that day too. So. Pretty chill. But yeah, so there are guys out there and you either don't pair yourself with them, that the guys who get angry and throw clubs, break clubs, um, or you certainly don't pair them with other people that you know it would be a problem. So yeah, right. I guess it is similar in managing. And there's, you know, there's people that like to poke at people, you know. Yes. And, and aggravate them and yeah. bait them. And so some take it better than others and, and, you, and, you, and you work with that. But, um, you know, my evolution of working the Fridays, All right, so I'm here with Southern Brad, uh, somebody I've talked about several times on the podcast. So my question to you is, how's a guy that can hit the ball 275, almost 300 yards, down the center, stripe it several holes in a row, and then all of a sudden hits a 225-yard drive either directly into the woods or into a lake. How is the same guy doing both of those? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's the question, right? Um, is that golf? Is that what the sport is? I don't is? know what it is, man. It's, uh, I don't know what to tell you. I went, I'm not aiming in the woods. <laughs> so so you're aiming, aiming in the fairway. Yeah, I'm aiming down the fairway, you know, and... Uh, just sometimes doesn't work out. No, yeah. I, I don't know what to say. I, don't, I try not to uh, think too much about prior shots, to be honest with you. I have a short-term memory, and I don't. So you don't like, so when you hit those striping drives that just scream down the fairway, you don't think to yourself, I did this or I did that or I didn't do this, and then when you get up to the next one, you, you no. try and prevent that bad thing from happening and just try and repeat that good thing? You just pick up the tee. You don't even see the ball stop land when you hit a good drive. 
Yeah. You don't see the ball. Like, right, right. You know you, it. Like, you know. Yeah. So, you know. Right, right. That's the sign of a good drive, right? You just pick the team. Yeah, up the bad it. drive, you're following it all the way in. You got it. <laughs> so you can find it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, we've all heard the tales of uh, mysterious found balls. Oh, yeah. We've had a commish that uh, he's known for it. Oh. I mean, he has really good eyesight, hey, I baby, think. He can track a ball. He can track. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Right, like right. A hundred yards into the deep, and it must have hit off a tree because it's right on the edge. And, Unbelievable. You know, yeah. Well, good eye. Eagle eye. Okay. So the answer is you don't, don't know why. I don't know. All right. So we don't know. I don't really know. I don't know what to tell so you. So anybody out there listening to this podcast, we don't have that one solution. And if any coach or any golf pro says they do. Bullshit. Bullshit. They don't either. Keep swinging. Because that's why they're coaching and they're not playing. Go find it and hit it again. Yeah. So talking about finding your game and you hitting it. So um, because your daughter's a pretty good soccer player and you've coached her, because you were a goaltender, now she's a goaltender, and you've coached her a lot, it's, it's kind of taken you out of the frequency of golf that you have played in the past because you were coaching. And their teams are pretty good, right? You've yes. taken them pretty far. Now she plays in high school, so now you could uh, you have more time to play. We go up to Crowfield. I don't think you had played for a while. And we went up there. This was my second time up there. The first time up there, I played really well. Second time, they, it was a Wednesday. We called it hump day, and every single pin was on the hump of the greens. I remember that. That and was hump day. really difficult for me. But yet you played well. You were hitting the ball well. Like I said, you were striping it with Mike D., you probably scored the second best round, and then you go back with this guy, Alfie, a few days later, and I think you shot like an 80, 79 or something like that. What Was it something about Crowfield? Was it something about the luck of the layoff? What do you think it was where you found that match? I think Crowfield, it brought back good juju. You know, golf is juju. Golf is juju. You, know, you got to have the juju going, feeling good, seeing the lines. I used to play Crowfield, and – you know, in the early 90s, when it opened, um, when I was living down here in Charleston, um, I played it with my father, who he would come down and he was in Columbia, and we would meet at Crowfield and we would play there a number of times. And uh, I was playing pretty good golf then. I was in, you know, in my 20s then, you know, I was playing pretty good golf. And I always had some good rounds there. And I just, I don't know, I just got good vibes there. You know, admit, I, some I good courses memories. are good for your eye. Yeah, well, you just make good memories too, you know. It right. Was just, you know, he had been. It's been twenty plus years now, so he hadn't been around. Yeah, yeah. So you had so, good memories yeah. there, and you just came yeah, back, and you're yeah, feeling good yeah. both times. Yeah, yeah. You know, Dunes West is the same way, you know. Dune, you know, I go by number two, and that's where his old house is on number two there. Right. It's we just, saw that when yeah, we played yeah, the other day. Yeah, right. Good vibes there. I usually, I usually, I usually play well on Dunes West. On number two, too. I usually type a drive. Right. Pipe it. Yeah, yeah. I'm always on the right, right by where that sand comes in. I don't know why. Just it's an odd hole for me. But um, okay. So a few questions. Um, your favorite club is? Do you have a go-to? Is it your Honeywood? No, it used to be my Honeywood. Now it's my six iron. So you got the six iron also. Hicks, man. Yeah, Wait, what happened to Honey? Honey's around, but uh, Honey, Honey can be unpredictable. Just right like now. any honey. And my honey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> she, she, uh, I just she remember out, you pulling she, that thing out so many out, times. We Dunes West just a couple weeks ago. Don't you remember the honey? Yeah. It smacked the tree and came back in the fairway four times. It's like you forget about them because they weren't out of bounds because they hit the tree. Right. Yeah, but right. honey has not been good to me lately. 
Well, maybe so you got to be good to her. Maybe. But I, hit, I usually hit the six arm. I'm in the six arm. Six arm. Yeah, me too. Your favorite swing juice? Scotch, bourbon, beer, weed? The only thing I can remember is what I don't want is raised bourbon on birdies. <laughs> so it's, it's just 98 a, so Ray, Ray is not a brand of bourbon. We play with a guy named Ray, and Ray had, keeps a... Uh, 98, it's 98 degrees outside, and the bourbon we drink has got to be 158 degrees. Right, and, and so 158 proof. And, and now what Ray has this thing that if anybody birdies when we're playing, everybody has to take a shot. And you start getting three or four birdies, and you're drinking this hot scotch oh. on a hot day, mm. and it's burning your throat. Um, I'm with you. It's so rough, I would man. say, yeah. I would say, you know, let's just wait till we're done. Southern Brad, you've been playing this sport a long time. What advice would you give to somebody about golf? Well, it's hard. It's hard to coach. It's hard to coach. But for you personally, I would give you the advice of don't do anything different. You, you've got your swing. You've yeah. developed it over your golf career. You're not going to change your swing. Your swing is your swing at this point. Trying to keep those 225 yards in the woods down to a minimum. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, and with that, I want to thank you uh, for, cool. for talking, for taking time out of your day and having this conversation. And uh, more great golf to come. Yeah, let's go, man. I'm looking forward to playing. All right. Play. Thank you. I'm talking to the Wisconsin Slammer, a guy that I've played a lot of golf with, and I've talked about on the podcast many times. Where everyone's your neighbor, beer, cheese, and fish fried, and you don't just say you're leaving, you say goodbye 15 times. Okay, bye-bye now. See you guys later. Hey, keep her moving. So roll out the barrel and strike up the band. And it's praise Lombardi, the pack is back again. And I'm Wisconsin, the Badgers, they say it's the old Wisconsin Jubilee. Okay, hit that squeeze box. Oh yeah, this hot is so hot, I need a bubbler. If there were levels of education in golf, this guy would have his doctorate. And what I mean by that is he does more research, and I think he knows more about golf and golf equipment than anybody I've ever talked to. So um, before I get into my first question about how you research clubs, first question I have to ask, you're now doing this interview from your truck. How badly did I fuck up your truck last week when we came back? <laughs> um, it wasn't too bad. It was, uh, it was more of a shock factor, I think, than anything. But um, it gave her a good scrub when I got home and, and checked it out. But yeah, it was, it was one of the all-time best vomiting sessions i think i've so here I've really yeah i'll of. set it up <laughs> thank you i appreciate that <laughs> i score i like scoring high and whatever i compete in so yeah here, it was way up there here and, and i gotta tell you for my life it was i if they filmed this during the exorcist right mine would have beat hers and except i didn't turn my head around but the projectile here's the scenario everything is going swimmingly we drive up um by lake marion 
and uh, up in Santee. It's like an hour and, I don't know, hour and 20 minutes. Ride's great. We pick up uh, Southern Brad. We go up, play a great round of golf. I think you shot a 75. You played really well. You won all the money, of course. And then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then afterwards, after trying to negotiate with the guys in the pro shop so that they would let me pay them for the round of golf, which was odd, but it was new software. They didn't know how to use it. I guess, you know, I guess I could have left without paying and they would have been happier because I wouldn't have forced them to have to use it. But I go into the pro shop. You guys are having a beer. I get myself a yinling like I always do. I start drinking it and two sips into it, something just wasn't right. And I don't think it was the beer. I think it was the fact that I didn't eat all day. And this is the first thing. And I've been drinking Arnold Palmer's or something all day. As soon as I get in your truck and we're starting to drive south, I'm starting to feel like sweaty. Like you ever feel like in something is not happening, you get nauseous. And now I'm trying to control myself. We get to Brad's house, Southern Brad's house, drop him off. I stand up and I'm trying to like get my sea legs back or, and then my land legs back. We get in the car, we get on Long Point Road. It's windy. It's windy and I can't control it anymore. So I, we found this one, I guess, development. I said, pull off. As you're pulling off, I'm opening the door. I couldn't control it anymore. It comes flying out, hits, ricochets off your door. I step outside. I think it was 10 yards deep and it kept going. And then thank God you, you know, you had the truck where we had the clubs in the back and it was open and I could pull a golf towel and at least, you know, you know, get it off my clothes and some of your truck, but it's, it's right. The, right. <laughs> it was, it was anyway, but I got to tell you, I felt fine as soon as I get back in the truck. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty impressive. Yeah. Just the shock factor of it at the moment of you need to pull over right now where there's, there's really nowhere to pull over uh, on long point road. So. We just found this one development. Uh, it just so happened. Yeah. You found the right one. We got lucky. Got lucky. Oh, but, yeah. um, oh that could have been yeah, really bad, quite, but it wasn't. So we'll episode. move on. So we'll move on. So you're a student of the game. So how long and how long, where do you research and how much time do you spend? Like right now, I know you're looking for a driving iron. Take me through the process right. of how you go about doing that. Cause you just don't walk into like a golf store and say, okay, I'll, I'll pick up this driving iron. There's a lot more that goes yeah. into it. Well, for one, me being left-handed, I don't get that option that you guys get being right-handed so a lot of the stores and things that i'm looking for like they just don't have or you have to search for them um and and whatever options they might have you know they might have one where there's 10 and you want to see whatever so um that's the hardest part there with the research and that's why there's so much diving in because i can't just go to a store and and pull the clubs i want but um I would say YouTube is definitely a big research for clubs. There's so many guys out there now that do uh, club reviews. And so, I mean, you know, some of those brands like TXG and, and some of the other Rick Shields and, you know, guys like that, they've made kind of a career out of the golf club review thing and they give good information. They, they, they compare it to other clubs that are out there that you may know about or, or whatever. So, so it really starts like, with, oh, you're, yeah, you're a, being a lefty. You know, my both my parents and my brother are lefties, and I was both. And so I think that's why my dad changed me to a righty because of the, my brother <laughs> didn't have as much an interest in golf. I did. And he's like, well, why don't you just change to righty because it'll be easier to get your clubs. I really think that happened. But as far as like how long, 
will I will I research? Uh, the answer is way too damn long. Like I'll, <laughs> I'll, overan- I'll overanalyze every single thing if if it I think it's going to work for me or. Yeah. So, do you think if you watch something that these guys are talking at comparing clubs and they're using righty sets, you think it applies the same for lefty as well? Absolutely. Yeah. If they have I, them, I mean, yeah. Just what side of the ball you're on, right? It's the same club. That's it's your swing. It's you know a lot of it. We I mean we talk about it a lot, but a lot of it's the shaft of the club. You know, especially with the drivers and other clubs. Like, how does a shaft work for you? But you know, there's there's just so much information out there that you can access. So I I definitely spend a lot of time doing that when I'm looking for something. Okay, so then you you do your research, and I know you've done this before. Then you bring a, then you get a club. How you usually get it in the mail. You acquire the club. How long? Sure. But you don't always put it right in your bag because I've seen you telling me you just got a club, <laughs> and it's not in your bag yet. And so what? Right. How? How long will you give a new club before it earns the privilege to join your bag? Like, what does it have to do? How many times does it need to go to the range? I mean, you know, as well as I do, there's clubs that don't ever make it to the bag. (laughs) (laughs) It's a brand, it's a brand new club that gets bought or, you know, acquired and it never makes it just because there's something that you think, uh, you know, a good example, like the Seymour putter that I, I said, I wanted to try a center shaft putter they're impossible to find left-handed, you know, there's not a lot of companies that make them. And, uh, so I, you know, ordered one online and, and thought I, you know, got what I thought I would like and tried some right-handed versions of similar styles and, um, you know, a nice putter, nothing negative to say about it. It it was, it was great. It just, it never made it. It wasn't for me. I, I could, I had it at the range for, you know, two weeks, probably trying to figure out a way you know, whether it was a grip or uh, something, but it just it never made it. Never saw a golf course once. So it is was the like, range kind of uh, like the mini tour? Like it, you have to I win, mean, you have to it's, earn its way onto the PGA tour. The You have to earn your way onto your bag <laughs> through the range. <laughs> I guess it does. I mean, I never looked at it. It's kind of funny that you say it that way, but yeah. Cause I mean, you know, another example, I, you know, I had that SIM two that I had a little, little uh, love affair with yeah. and same thing. Never made it to the golf course one time. It, it, it went to uh, it went to a simulator, compared it against the other uh, the epic flash that I normally play, and it just wasn't it wasn't better. It wasn't good enough, and it was gone. That is the, that is the bottom line. Like there is not a club that exists that'll fix a bad swing. But if if you have a good swing or a consistent swing, and you know maybe you have something that's not you know, the shaft's wrong for you or it's not set up for you or, you know, you have your driver adjusted improperly, you know, like. I think there's a honeymoon stage are, too. I think there's a honeymoon. You can get clubs yeah. just because you like them. They feel good. Maybe. And then you'll yeah. start off a few times hitting it. But then with whatever that swing flaw is you have, you're going to be back to where you were before you bought that club. I would agree a thousand percent. Like, yeah, that's definitely a thing um, for sure. I just, I feel like it's kind of up to you to, you know, how long does that honeymoon kind of last for? Right. And, you know, I've, I've been guilty of it myself. I mean, I, I think I had my driver for, you know, a year and a half, two years, and I was already kind of like, you know, sniffing at a new one, like, just something about it I wasn't in love with. And, and it's kind of a funny story, but when I, when I bought that SIM two, which is a 
a driver. I've always loved the way they look. I think it was an awesome club, but like I took it out of the box and set it down on the floor and instantly ran to my, my gamer and set my gamer down. And it's just like, well, why the hell don't you look like this? Like this looks perfect. Like the Sim 2 looked perfect. Wait, so you're talking to your and then, club and now you're criticizing yeah, your all, club? All, you know, for, all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. Wait, yeah, because so, I had the damn thing. I had the Well, thing that club's not going to change the way it looks. That, yeah, but when you have it adjusted and properly, it doesn't uh, sit the same behind yeah. the ball. And now all of a sudden, you like that, that was kind of like a moment for me. Like you've played with me a lot recently and, and like what I'm doing off the tee right now. Pretty that strong. all came yeah. after I changed that all came after I changed that adjustment on that driver. And and I didn't even look at what I was adjusting it to. I looked at how it suited my eye the best, you know, behind the ball. And then, yeah, that's all. That's the most important thing. You got to feel a certain way yeah. before you're going to pull the trigger on that thing. Yeah. And that's, that goes back, I think to like the confidence thing. Like if, if there's a club in your bag where you just don't want to hit it or you can't find a, a, a reason to pull it because you're just going to blade it or you're going to, you know, chunk it or whatever. Like for me, like that club's got to go out a way to do it. Like it, it pissed you off to no end. But I mean, talking about being pissed off, I've never seen you break a club, throw a club, <laughs> yell, scream, um, get really angry. I've never seen you do that. And maybe because you're no. beating me all the time and there's nothing to get angry at, but what? how do you maintain your composure when you hit bad shots? Uh, that's a good question. Um, what do, I mean, what are we really doing out there, right? I mean, you've, you guys that play with me or the llama, you know, we're out there drinking beers, listening to the radio, you know, granted we're playing for some money or we're doing whatever, but it, I just guess I never, the, the club throwing and stuff, like it never it's not the club's fault. I'm a dumbass swinging it, you know? So like if, it, if it's a bad shot, I don't, I guess I don't never really got the break in clubs and, and all but that. But you've played never with guys really that get really idea. upset with themselves, right? We talked about yeah, this. Yeah. You know, a few of them do. And, and I guess I just, you know, do whatever you want. Let them do their thing. Like to me, that's, I think it's kind of, kind of foolish, I guess. I mean, I guess to go with that, like, some of the guys that I played with that do that, they don't, they're not good enough to be breaking their own <laughs> clubs. Like their expect their expectations of themselves are just unrealistic. And I think more times than not, those are probably the guys that are, are the ones that get the most upset. Um, is they're trying to hit a shot that, you know, I, you've I've joked about this, but like, you know, the, the loft, you know, the, the lack of fucking talent, like yeah. that's an acronym for yeah. you, you shouldn't be mad that you, you, you can't get to the green or you hit it in the water when you're hitting three wood from 280, but you hit your driver 180. Like <laughs> that's not, that's not, that's not something you should be upset about. Like it could be the alcohol so, talking sometimes that's set. Yeah. It, it, I'm sure. Possibly. Right. It happens. But like, I, yeah, for me, I just never, it could be a whole lot worse than playing golf and hitting a bad shot. Yeah, you know, it's probably so the like, right. Attitude. I don't really, I don't really subscribe to that one too much, you know, not saying it's ever going to happen. I mean, I know in the last, you know, some of the guys I played with, you know, I've wanted to launch my putter as far as I could the last couple months. Cause I haven't been in love with it, but uh, you know, it's easier to just joke about the putter throw than it is to actually throw it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it's, it's so, probably not your fault. It's probably not the putter's fault. It was probably something on the ground. No. That's how I think about it. Yeah. I've actually, yeah. play, yeah, actually like played with it. Heaven's praise Lombardi, the pack is back again. And I'm Wisconsin, the Badger City. It's the old Wisconsin Jubilee. It's the old Wisconsin Jubilee. Okay, so our last interview is with... The Lama, the High Holy One, the best 11 handicap of the bunch in a philosophy in life of have fun and everything else will take care of itself. I walk 47 miles of barbed wire. I got a cobra stick for a necktie. Brand new house along the roadside, and it's a made out of rattlesnake hide. Got a brand new chin that baby built on top, and it's a made out of human skull. Come on, take a little walk with me, baby, and tell me who do you love? Who do you love? Now, around the town, and use a rattlesnake whip. Take it easy, baby, don't you give me no lip. So here's one of the things that I know about you that I learned like two years ago as I'm working here at the first day and I hear all these stories. You're playing against these two, three, four handicaps. These guys are scoring low and you are gambling with these guys with your handicap, but you never back down and you believe you could beat them. I like going into a fight. I like being an underdog going in there, seeing what I can do. What I mean... Being a fan of movies, Rocky, greatest underdog ever lived, Tin Cup, greatest game ever played with Louis, Louis Wiemann, and then Bagger Vance. I mean, all these movies about an underdog that just can overcome, and I just, I want to put myself in those shoes. I'm always the type of person that I live my life as if I'm the main character of a movie, so if I'm going into these situations, I want to put my odds up against them and see what happens. But where do you get this confidence to be able to play this very difficult sport against really good guys and believe, hole by hole, you have a chance? It starts at a young age. I mean, I'm one of four boys. I'm the third of four boys. And we're all within two to three years of each other. So growing up, it's, it's a battle every day. Any situation you come to when you have older brothers, I mean, you're hanging out with them and their friends. You're playing sports with them and their friends. So at a young age, you're always up against better people. So when you enter a situation, you're knowing you're going up against better people, but you have to perform. And that's everything in life. You go into it having to have to perform. So we go out and we play together, and everybody has their lubricant to help them swing better. Some people drink beer, some drink scotch, some drink vodka, some don't drink at all. What's your favorite lubricant of all? And that lubricant doesn't have to be juice. Mm-hmm. It could be anything. It's about having the right combination of things. Whether if you're a drinker or you like to smoke the Mary J or you have to find the right music to get you in that mood. You have to find that right tone to get you on that level to where it's just a smooth swing every time. I like to mix all three together. Um, By the way, your tunes were better than my tunes. You had good tunes. Well, I'm running down the road trying to loosen my load. 
and that's the problem with sometimes playing tunes. It's all about the, not only the force on your end, but also the partner in your cards. Because you can't necessarily play what you want. You also have to play what your partner wants, but also play something that your other card partner might be interested in and not, might not get too antsy because you want a good foursome no matter what. You want the vibe right. It makes for golf, doesn't it? When you get the right four guys, it just makes for the That's afternoon, a, Everything's right? about the right vibe. And I think that goes hand in hand with my swing or my game. It's like I want to be relaxed enough to where I'm not getting overheated or over-aggressive to where if I hit a bad shot, I grip the club and I just try hit it. I have to find the right balance to where, all right, I hit a bad shot, let's take a hit of the pipe, calm down a bit, slow things down, and then hit a beautiful shot, and that's why we do it. I guess you kind of figured I'm a reefer head, of course, and after all this time, I guess that I'm a connoisseur of sorts. Now your stuff smells okay, but this could tranquilize a horse. I'll bet a million in cash against your stash, because I think mine's better than yours. The boy said, my name's so you and I talk all the time, and you're always suggesting you got to see this show, you got to see this movie, you got. So I always use these as my. You're like my video file, right? Mm. So think about favorite movie that you've seen. Now it could be favorite movie of all times, but for people that are watching this that are just don't know what to stream next, what, like what is a favorite movie that you've watched recently? You you got to see this. So right now, I say something that people should definitely get into is Dune. Dune came out last October in theaters. It's on HBO right now. There's going to be three movies made. This is the father of sci-fi. The first Dune, the first Dune book came out in the 60s, and that's what pretty much every major sci-fi movie based everything around. Star Wars based everything around Dune. Look at it. And plus, the fact that this movie is made, I've watched it 10 times. What? I've watched it 10 times. So I started watching it. This is about this kid who's going to take over the galaxy, right? He's going to take over. So, and he's got to come to this planet. And aren't they harvesting something that they need? So it's all about like spice. 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 They're hot. And they all, use spice for energy? Spice is used for... So spice can almost be uh, similar to mushrooms. Magic mushrooms. So they use, the, they use the spice for mathematical equations for deep space, deep space travel. And you can only get spice on this one planet. Got it. So if you're going to watch the movie, I highly recommend going to YouTube and watching the synopsis first. It gives no giveaways. It explains the books. No, so what is the synopsis? So, so what, what it's a it? five-minute synopsis, synopsis of the, uh, the main characters and the first story of Dune. So it really gets into why the people are there, the backstory, the families. So it has a lot to do with kind of like Game of Thrones, how there's major families. There's an emperor, and they kind of have different controls, different powers, and they're worried about one family getting more power than the other. So this little synopsis on YouTube, little five minutes, you type in Dune Review YouTube, five-minute review, watch before the movie. It'll help you out. Guarantee you'll watch it more than once. And with that... I'd like to say thanks for the interview. Thanks for your time. Rich, it's been an honor and a privilege. Thank you. Thank you. And I would say thank you to you. I mean, it, it's, 
I feel humbled by the fact that you would, you know, include me in this because uh, I think your your podcasts are great. I Thank think you. you've done a terrific job with that, and uh, and you know, it's uh, it's kind of. Kind of special to be to be part of it with you. Well, thank you. You deserve to be in it. Thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate your podcast. All the bus guys around here listen to it. That's that great. You've given us labels and everything. Um, we enjoy it. I don't know if we enjoy it more than you enjoy doing it, but it's fun, and we enjoy listening. Well, to thank it. you. So, I really enjoy doing yeah. it. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. So after 300 minutes of great discussions with nine golf gunbos that share the same passion for this crazy, unpredictable, heart-stabbing, adrenaline-provoking sport, I only wish that I, could, that I could have aired every minute of every conversation. But as my listening public shares with me often, nobody wants to listen to five hours of a podcast. So I did my best in contracting it and distilling out what I thought were the best of the best. Perhaps in the last few episodes of this final season of Tales, I'll include some of the unaired discussion like, what do you think about the Live Tour and the PGA Tour's response, and particularly Jay Monahan's response? What golf advice would you give me or any other golfer? But for now, I just say, happy 4th of July. And may the freedoms that our great nation offers us as citizens of a democracy not get tangled up in bullshit legalese that ends up pitting us against each other. And with that, I say, I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Talk to you soon.